Well, I'm, I'm back here in Ann Arbor, and we're continuing, continuing on in our Essentials message series. We covered the Word last week, and today is prayer. And in a way, this is, these are the two components of a conversation that um, is essential for a relationship to be healthy and strong and growing and getting deeper um, every single day. It's a heart-to-heart connection. Um, And in case of our relationship with God, what we have is God's words is his words to us. And then our words back to him in the form of these prayers are the response. So there you have that conversation. And if God's word is number one, first place, then the second place is prayer. And no wonder uh, many of the Christians have said word and prayer is like bread and butter, right? Bread and butter of Christian life and flourishing. And relationship with God, that ought to grow, that ought to get deeper and closer, a closer fellowship with God. And that's what we all want. Um, And it's not just like giving you a guilt trip, like you ought to pray. But it's more than that, because it's the content of the prayer that should make us as Christians very different. Uh, In fact, Jesus includes... It in his Sermon on the Mount message series. Okay, so he had that most famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he inserts this note about prayers being the notable distinctive that distinguishes those in the kingdom of heaven who are followers of Jesus Christ versus anyone else out there who may be uttering up prayers, quote unquote. But these are prayers not to our heavenly father. And so let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. We'll take this first, and then we'll take a look at the actual sample prayer that Jesus gives us. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. There's a different motivation there. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, as I start off, and we'll pause there for a moment before we get to the Lord's Prayer. In verse 8, Jesus says, do not be like them. And this verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, according to the great theologian John Stott, he says this is the key to the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because the whole Sermon on the Mount is given to the potential followers of Jesus Christ, the people in the kingdom of heaven, and they should be very different from all of the other people of this world. And this them, do not be like them. Who are the them? In verse 7, it says here, these are the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases. They think that, you know, prayer is a lot of, lot of words to God, like, thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father, Jesus, all of these kinds of words, and maybe even flowery words and sentiments. But the Gentiles, those are the groups of people back in those days who did not have the proper understanding of God. They did not know God personally. 
They didn't have a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. And one of the ways in which this comes out is that they don't understand who God is. They think that God could be fooled. Because it says there in verse 5, right? When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because the hypocrites are praying to a God that they think can't see their hypocrisy. That just when they're lifting up these holy words of prayers, that God is pleased with that, and God is blind to all of the other actions and motives and the deceitfulness and the evil and the sin that's prevalent in their lives. They think that God is fooled, that God doesn't know. To which God, Jesus here says, our Heavenly Father is actually very different from that. God knows. God sees. And in fact, in verse 8, it says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, this is a curious statement that I'm going to pause for a moment and address because some of you might be thinking, okay, so if God knows what I need even before I lift up any prayer, then, and then what would you say, filling in the blank? Then why should I pray? It's just empty words. It's just waste of words, right? Because if God knows that I need some help with my test, okay? You guys all, do I hear an amen? Okay, yeah, I know that, right? God knows that, right? God, God created you. God knows your IQ level, right? God knows. And this is Jesus saying, your father knows what you need before you ask. Then why should we pray? Why bother to pray? If he already knows this, if God knows that, that you need your beloved, you know, aunt or grandmother who's dying of cancer, that, that cancer needs to be eradicated. If God knows that, then why bother praying about it? If God knows my relational strife that just, you know, causing havoc in my life. And I can't focus, I can't concentrate, my life is just full of, you know, Anxiety, worries, burdens. If God knows this, then why pray? Maybe our prayer should be very simple and to the point. God, you know it? Just do it. Okay? God, you know it? Just do it. Please. Okay, we got to be kind to our Heavenly Father, right? Please. But as we think about this, perhaps there's a greater purpose to praying than merely serving as a friendly reminder, or a little bit more of a nag, just in case God forgot, or is a begrudging father that you got to grovel in front of. But that's not our Heavenly Father. Because when we take a step back and consider this back and forth, right? God speaks to us through His words, the Scripture, the Bible. We covered that last week. And if prayer is our, our, is our response in this conversation that builds this relationship, then even in the Conversing over the things that we already know, we've already established. It's not because of a lack of knowledge, but it's a cultivating of a relationship. In a deep sharing of the heart and soul, reaffirming these truths. I think that's, that's what's essential about a conversation. That builds up the relationship. It's like saying to your spouse, you know, my spouse is right there, Susanna, I love you. Right? Thank you for the dinner. It was delicious. Or 
even though, even though you're a short Asian man, you're very handsome to me. Okay? I just demonstrated a conversation. It's not just me. It's she's speaking back to me, right? So even though that truth, that, that last truth was established how many years ago? It was like 31 years ago almost, right? Even though that truth was established 31 years ago, I still want to hear it. And, and it does something when she says that. There's a relationship that's fostered and is reestablished, reaffirmed, and it strengthens that relationship. I mean, we've all experienced this, haven't we? Yeah. But as I was thinking about this line in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. As I thought about that, your father knows what you need. It's not about what you want or not what you desire, but it's what you need, the essential. If your father knows what you need before you ask him, I was thinking about this and thinking about this, and I wondered, maybe, maybe we don't know what we need. And maybe what we are about to hear in this model prayer is Jesus giving us a glimpse of what we really need. The essential for, for spiritual life and our life as a human being created with spirit and soul to relate to God, to relate with God. And word and prayer is the primary vehicle. That's the communication line. And maybe as we lift up these prayers, maybe it's, it's not just finding out what God knows that we need, and now we need to agree to that. Now we need to be able to say amen to that at the end of that prayer. But maybe this is one way. Maybe prayer is one way to not necessarily change the circumstances, but to change me, the one who's praying. I think that's the frame of mind with which I'd like for us to approach this. And when we consider that, you might find that, you know, my approach to prayer, my five W's and H, and that's why on the handout I put that there, right? Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Maybe all of that, we've gotten it wrong. And what we want to do in this examination of this Lord's Prayer, and chances are there's probably many of you who are able to recite this Lord's Prayer. Growing up, maybe, you know, your family prayed this every night or, you know, as a part of your, your church service. And so here we go. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Here's Jesus reconfiguring our prayers, maybe reprioritizing, showing us what's really needed for us in our relationship with God. So let's take a look at this. And let's all read this together. Verses 9 through 13. Ready? Go. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the traditional Lord's Prayer has, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we'd like to just start off with the who. Okay, who, to whom is this prayer addressed to? Like salutation, dear Jonathan. And you start that off. So to whom it's our Father in heaven. 
Now, one of the, the Christian authors who wrote a book on prayers made a big deal about this starting point. It's our father instead of, what? My father. Instead of my daddy, instead of my heavenly father. It's our father. And this is Jesus reminding us in advance of what he has accomplished or he is about to accomplish through his death on the cross in reconciling us back to our heavenly father to be born again into a spiritual family of God. And after the resurrection, that one of the first things that Jesus reinforces in his communication with his disciples is the following. John chapter 20, verses 17. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus said to her, this is Mary who is there, one of the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers, those disciples, right, who are following him. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. It's not just my father. It's your father too. My death on the cross that provided a way for you to be reconciled back and be enfolded into the family of God, into the kingdom of heaven, then my father is your father now. To my God and your God. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my what? brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Before this point, he was addressing them as my disciples or my servants. Now it's leveled up. This relational connection is not of a master and a servant or a discipler and a disciple. It's... We are brothers of the same Heavenly Father. Perhaps this is why Jesus, in starting off this prayer, is who is God? He is our Father. Our Father, as we are part of the one same family of God. And you know, this does something to our prayers. Think about it. Because oftentimes we go to God in prayer with what? My burdens. I feel discouraged, or my problems, or me, I got issues. And God, I need you to help me. Now, Jesus is saying, hold on for a moment. Let's remember the who first. It's our Father. And that resets my prayers. Because it's not just about my needs, but it's about our needs. And you'll notice this as we go through all of these different lines in this Lord's Prayer example. There's so much of the, the pronoun of we, us, our, instead of me, myself, and I. And so Jesus' prayer from the get-go starts to change our prayers, starts to change our, the focus of our needs and the burdens. The second thing is what? The second thing is God's honor. That's what we should be praying about first. God's honor and then God's rule and God's will to be carried out. Now we find this in verse 9. Because it just started off with our Father in heaven. right? Our Father in heaven. And then uh, we read, hallowed be your name. Now this is one of those words, hallowed, where 
Is it like Halloween? Or what is this? I mean, we don't use it much. And so what is hallowed? Hallowed is to make holy. To make holy. To honor as holy. And so if we are called to pray like this, that God is really about you first and foremost. And it's, it's not about my needs and my reputation. It's about your name. It's about God's name. And God's reputation and God's character. It's not about me. And it's not even about us. It's about God. Most of all. This should change our prayers. Because it clashes against the core of our sin and our selfishness that's so preoccupied with me, myself, and I. The, often the, the main character of our prayers is, you know, me, right? That's the main character energy. God, give me that main character energy snapshot or, you know, selfie or whatever it is, right? Instead, the Lord's Prayer changes our focus that now what we should be most caring about most worried about, most consumed with is God's name, God's reputation, God's character, that it is elevated to this holy state to make holy his name. Now, one of the things that we notice as we follow along in Jesus' prayer is that as we pray these lines, it does something. It triggers some memory of what now I need to do, how I need to change. Because when we think about God's name, if you're a Christian, you're carrying the name of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I am carrying the name of Jesus Christ. You know, some, some places you have a name tag, right? You've got Jackson, Grace, you know. And, and sometimes when you go after Sunday church and you forget to take your name tag off and you, you know, walk into like Chick-fil-A or something like that, there's a, like, um, thank you, Jackson. It's like, how does he know? Well, it's because of the name tag. But if you were to write on your name tag, and maybe one of these days we will do this and give it a try. It's like, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? And if you're, if you're wearing that name tag, I think you will behave a little bit differently. Wouldn't you say? Right? If you remember that you have that on the, on the tag, right? Because everyone who watches you Everyone who sees you, everyone who listens to your tone of voice or the words that come out of your mouth, they're going to attribute it to Jesus Christ, who is your master and Lord, controller over all. Then you're going to behave in a different way. You're going to, you're going to behave in a way that's going to honor the name of Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that the, our, our heartfelt desire? And that is what our thoughts are going to be triggered to as we pray this prayer, even as we pray this first line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, I bear the name of Jesus, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to honor and make holy that precious name, especially in this day and age where that name is used as a curse word. You know, in a derogatory sense. How much more we need to conduct ourselves. Lord, change my life to be honoring to you. You see how the prayer starts off like this? 
and it involves us. It's not just changing our perspective of who God is and what our priorities are. It actually circles right back to us. And so the next line here in verse 10, it says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think that's the way that our lives can actually be honoring to God. When your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what that reminds us is that in heaven, God's will is carried out 100%. 100% of the time. There's no pushback, there's no resistance, there's no friction. Because there's no sin. There's complete trust. There's complete yieldedness. There's complete surrender. There's complete lordship. And so in heaven, God is ruling as king and lord 100%. And when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right now, here in between, in the between, right? Here and not yet. I want you to be the king, the one and only king. That's what this whole phrase, your kingdom come, this is dealing with Jesus is giving a message series on the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's going through all of these different aspects. And one of the things about the kingdom of heaven is there is one king, one ruler, one Lord overall. And when we pray this prayer, and when we align our lives in surrender to this one benevolent Lord and King, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, then, then we have a good chance of honoring God's holy name. Now, embedded in this is the, the next thing, and that is where your will be done. Where? On earth. Here, where it's really hard to live out a God-honoring life. But I think this is where our prayers, you know, we haven't even gotten to the Help me with my test, right? We haven't even gotten to, you know, help my, my, my sick family member or my financial crisis or whatever it is. It's about, I want your reign to be here on earth, everywhere, in fact. Because one day when I get to heaven, God, you're going to reign 100% in my life. Why not now? I yield to you. I am no longer going to take control as king or queen. I want to put down my crown at the foot of the cross. You are king. You are sovereign. Calling the shots. Dictating what I do in all of my life while I am here on earth. As we continue on, um, we also read in verse 11. Now we get to like some of the requests. But get this, it says, give us this day our daily bread. There's a few interesting things to note here. It's once again, look at the pronoun, what is it? Give us. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not give me, right? Give me, but it's us. It's not just concern for my own need, my own wants, my own desires, but our needs together, interceding for the needs of others, looking around at the needs of others. And that's a good thing because otherwise, if you're rich and you got all your needs met, then you, you're, not, you're not called to pray. But as long as we have one another and there's another person within our community, within humanity that needs food, or substance, 
or help or love, then we could lift up these prayers. Our prayers are for one another's needs. And as we pray for one another's needs, then that's going to do something to us. You know, if you have a conscience, you know, if, you're, if you have a conscience that you're praying this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and you know you have some, and you know your brother or your sister is in need of some resources or whatever it is, then you're going to now, now through that prayer, you're going to change your life. And guess what's happening? Man, if God, through the Holy Spirit's prompting, even through that prayer being lifted up, prompts you to do something like that, that, ends, that answers the very prayer that you lifted up. God involves us, not just in sharing these prayer requests, but God calls us, beckons us, to be the very answers to these prayers that we have some way and capacity to, to answer in. To meet those needs. Notice that it's bread. And that's just a basic necessity of life. No frills, no thrills. Just basic nutrients, right? Everything else is bonus. When Jesus calls us to pray for our daily bread. I think this also does something. Because as I am praying, Lord, give us this day. Our daily bread. The bare necessities. You know what that triggers a reminder of? I got more than bread. I got more than bread. Dinner roll is one of the things that you put on the side of the plate, right? We got brisket, you know, depending on where you're from. You know, you got, you got all kinds of other stuff. I mean, bread is a basic necessity. But God has given us so much more. And even as we pray for this, it lends itself to other kinds of prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you that you have given me so much more than just my bare necessities of survival. And in fact, there's been many a nights that I've, got, I've slept with a full stomach. Whereas there's people out there in the world go through hungry at night, crying, because they don't even have this basic bread. This gives us the right framework for gratitude prayers. Also, this gives us the frequency. Give us this day our daily bread, and that gets us to the when. When do we pray? This day. Every day. Daily. And it's it's kind of like reminiscent of the Israelite community where it was, give us this day, today, give us the daily provision of manna in the wilderness. Now, could God given like 10 years worth? Oh, yeah. There were 40 years in the wilderness. Could God have given a portion of 40 years? Oh, yes. He could. He could have, but he gave it day by day. Now, why? I think it's because our Heavenly Father knows what we need more than just security for our belly's needs and our body's needs. God knows we need something more than that. And that is to relate to Him more frequently than every 10 years or at a 40-year increment. 
we need to trust Him every day. Lest we set our security on these other things, you know, the storehouses of grain, all of the, the resources that's in your safety, you know, safe deposit box or in your account or portfolio. I remember when our family moved to Davis as a part of our first church plant uh, team many, many years ago, decades ago, and uh, we were just working uh, by vocational ministers, and I was uh, working as a lecturer in the chemistry department at UC Davis. And as a lecturer, this is not a tenure-track professorship. This is term-by-term employment. Every quarter. They were on a quarter system. So that means every, like, three to four months, I didn't know if I'm going to get rehired to teach another class. That's zero job security, okay? That's like every, okay, so I got, I got this lectureship position so I could teach freshman chemistry for the winter quarter and then come, you know, spring quarter, I didn't get any phone calls, no email, and that led us to pray. And every quarter God provided. It was like a thriller. Okay, it, it's like, God, I, I don't like these cliffhangers. Can you just give me like a three-year contract? He said, no. He just gave me every quarter. And guess what? That, I wouldn't trade it for a million bucks. Because every quarter, the whole family, even my kids, like, Lord, let my daddy get that job. <laughs> you know, or that renewal. Or, you know, and we're we're crying out in prayer. And it's not just our family, it's our entire community, our church. And we were able to pray for one another's needs like that. And you know what that did? That got us close to God. And that got us to experience God's faithfulness. And I wouldn't trade that for job security that lasted for a whole lifetime. And it does something to us when we daily turn to God in prayer. It humbles us. It gets us to the right relational context of God, you are my maker. You're my creator. You're my sustainer. I need you today. I need you every day. And it's not just give us our day, this day, our daily bread. But as we move forward, it is even more essential than just physical food. And sustenance. And that is in verses 12 and onward, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness. Without food, we die physically. Without forgiveness from our Heavenly Father, we die spiritually. And without forgiveness from one another, then we die relationally. We die as a community. We die as a people. And it's because our basic identity as a people, as a, as a person, is that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. First from God and from one another. And it's once again, I want to highlight the pronoun, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. It's not just about my wrongs. But it's thinking about and recognizing that we, I have wronged other people. We're in the midst of this relational community. And forgiveness. If I have received forgiveness from God, not because I deserve it, not because I earned it, but because of God's great mercies that are new every morning. Every day we get a fresh 
bountiful, generous supply of God's forgiveness, then how much more we ought to be giving in forgiving one another. And as we finish off in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, this is once again, this is, this is resolving the relational Relational separation, temptation, and sin, and evil. What this does is it gets us to the why of prayer, most of all, and that is to right our wrong relationship with God. And of course, when we recognize that in our temptations and our sins, when we give into those temptations and sin, and when we walk into the paths of evil and unrighteousness, then we we are straying far away from God. We're, we're severing our relationship with God. And we need to guard our relationship with God. That is our primary reason why we ought to pray. And it gets us to that. As Jesus ends this model prayer. To consider all of the ways in which things and activities and the things that we do. And even the people that we hang out with. Does it damage our relationship with God? Is it a path of temptation for you? And for me, and if so, if we're praying this prayer, how could we continue to walk down that path? Knowing that it's going to end with the greatest evil of all, and that is a relationship that's severed from God. That damages our relationship with God. That doesn't honor God's name, but drags it through the mud. And so with that, I want to end with some hows, because I think this is where, you know, um, a lot of people, they, they want to take a look at the, the, the how-tos, right? And I just want to throw out a few of these things, and, and I've just captured it in terms of prioritize, passionate, and persevere, okay? So I just want to give you some glimpses of how Jesus gave us examples, and some examples from Scripture as well. Prioritize. First of all, I think um, this is one of those things where, you could have the greatest of intentions, and even at this sermon, you could be nodding and saying, Amen, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I'm going to pray. If you don't prioritize it, you're not going to pray. Take a look at Jesus. He's in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where, and there he prayed. He was the busiest person of all. And yet he prioritized. Martin Luther, he has this quote on prayer. He says, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. Okay? And this is a good quote because you don't expect it like that, right? But he understands that when it comes to God's work and spiritual work, this is where it really matters. This is where the spiritual battle is won or lost. Jesus also demonstrated in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. And this is where I, I coined that whole passionate. You know, you've got to really believe this, that God is able to save you and deliver you. You can't just make this an intellectual endeavor where you're just, you know, just without any emotion, without any feelings, without any belief. You know, I'm not saying you should cry out all your prayers with tears. But Jesus did this from time to time. As you see here, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. I mean, this is crisis. 
This just feels like he's dying. And, and he is led to his slaughter on the cross. And he is lifting up those prayers in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was heard because of his reverence. This is the way that he worshipped the Heavenly Father and expressed his trust, total trust and obedience. Finally, in terms of um, another thing is persevering in prayer. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 is one of those verses where if you want to memorize a verse in the short, is this one, right? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That means even when your prayers don't seem to be answered in the way that you had hoped. But as you saw from Jesus' example of prayers, maybe, maybe the bigger goal of those prayers is not a change of circumstance, but a change of you. Maybe as, as you're praying this prayer, you're learning something about your frailty. It humbles you. It draws you to a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father who forgives you of all your sins. And through that gives you the love and the forgiveness to forgive one another. We have on our website, gracepointonline.org slash prayer cards, some of the resources that we're putting up there that could help you with your prayer life. There are just some PDF docs right there for some sample prayers, praying through the different I am statements or praying through different passages or different topics. We're going to put up some more things in the coming days, including like a playlist for background music for prayer, uh, depending on if you want like loud booming, loud cries kind of prayer or, you know, more softer ones. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. As we end, I'd like to just lead us in a time of prayer through the Lord's Prayer.